This is a question that became something of a joke, and my answer is direct. We are not getting prepared. We are not working on a dirty bomb. With protests gripping the country's universities and high schools, and strike action by teachers, business owners, factory workers, even oil refinery workers, the backbone of Iran's economy. The call for reform and for regime change is only growing louder. So what you first heard there was a spokesman for somebody in the government uh, with Ukraine saying, we're not building a dirty bomb, that's ridiculous. And then there is some belief from some people involved in the Russian military that Putin is never going to use nuclear weapons, which I hope is true. I really, really hope is true. We welcome to the program Mike Lines. He's a military analyst we like to have on all the time. Mike served with various military organizations in both the United States and Europe throughout his career. Um, went to West Point. All kinds of really cool stuff that make you a regular guest on CNN. I see you there all the time. I look for your your shots on CNN. Mike Lines, uh, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Uh, Jack, thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, I'm following this story closely, but I feel like there's been a um, a dead spot in coverage for the last week or so over what's going on with Kursan and that region. Can you fill us in on what's happening? Sure. So the tactical military guys, right, the generals and the, the people that like to see the moving tanks on the ground are noticing that um, the Ukraine military is doing very well. They're winning battles in this area there, and they're taking advantage of the Dnepro River, which is a natural boundary between, um, let's say, Kherson and kind of the rest of that occupied region within Ukraine that Russia has been in, in since 2014. And um, if if um, Ukraine can push Russia out of Kherson, back across that river, then the question gets to Ukraine is how do they cross the river if they want to keep this attack going? But then also if you go a little bit further east there, there's a separation that could take place. They could they could basically cut off the Russian military from its supply chain that would come from from the east, and you could have ten to twenty thousand Russian soldiers um, surrounded and potentially surrender. They're they're going to get cold too. Winter's coming, right? So they're going to get cold here in uh, December and January, and and so I think from the tactical perspective, from the battleship you know space perspective, the military guys are looking at this as saying we have a real opportunity to really put Russia in a bind. However, Russia is still fighting the strategic battle, and they're coming back with drones. They're hitting Kiev. They've got swarms. They've got all other kinds of things. And so Ukraine has got to also worry about air defenses. So there's multidimensional military chess taking place right now. And, um, you know, if the Ukraine military on the ground in the chaotic face of the battle can force Russia to large area surrenders, they might bring them to the negotiation table. Who knows? Wow. So there is a pretty consequential battle perhaps being lined up right now yeah that's the way i see it and it's not only for kherson it's for that whole southern region because now it threatens crimea which i think is their alamo um that that is non-negotiable from russia's perspective they have to have that warm water port and they've had it for the last hundred plus years they've had a an agreement with the Ukraine government to have it. You see Elon Musk, you know, in his tweets about trying to make peace, saying right. that, you know, Russia gets it. I mean, it's almost like a fait accompli. Um, you know, that that is something that without that, Russia does not project power in, in, in the Middle East, doesn't project power in the Mediterranean or in the Atlantic. It, it creates a significant problem for the Black Fleet. Where does the Black Fleet go at that point? So so that's their, that's their Alamo, and that might be the place where, 
they do use those tactical nukes to, to, to create a boundary between them and Ukraine as they as they try to, you know, formally try to retake it. Well, I want to ask you about that. But before we get to that, you know, Zelensky says it's non-negotiable from his standpoint, too, that you're staying in right. Crimea. Of course, that could be a negotiating position. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's, it's going to be hard, difficult for the Ukraine people and him in particular to, you know, acquiesce any territory, I think, back to Russia, even though they've occupied a lot of those regions since 2014. They've, they've had influence over it at the very least, and they've influenced their Congress. It's part of the reason why the Ukraine government was in such turmoil for the past few years, because the, the, so many of the politicians in that part of, of Ukraine were on Russia's side. And, and um, you know, it's hard, and again, today's world, all of a sudden, be cutting up this country and then having it sliced over to Russia. But that might be the, the likely scenario, especially, you know, they could start building a wall. Let's get, you know, get back to 1950s technology here. Let's like they start building a wall between those two areas, and then it becomes, you know, really a, a pretty large demarcation line. I want to talk about the nuke thing. Before I get to that, I was going to read from a piece later in the program from David French in the Dispatch, who continues to make the argument that this is the most consequential story in the world, is what happens with Ukraine and Russia, and making the argument for why we need to continue to support the Ukrainians, et cetera, et cetera. Would you agree that it is the most consequential thing going on right now? Um, for the United States, no. It's a, it's a regional conflict, and it has more impact on what happens in Europe. And for those people who are globalists, they might think that's the case. But really, at the end of the day, this is a regional conflict. It does not, you know, it's important for the United States from a from a national security perspective, but um, it, it's not it's not the most important. We've got to keep our eye clearly on our main threat, and that's China, and that's what could happen in the Pacific. I think we can do what we can as an infrastructure to support the Ukraine military. I mean, what's happening is, for example, the air defense platforms that we ordered, the the Army ordered 50 of them, let's say. I I think that's what the number was, 50 from Raytheon. And I think we've bumped that number down to allow 20 of them to be built for Ukraine. They won't get there till the spring, and it might not even matter. So those are the kind of things we're doing in our country to try to help this. But from our national security perspective, it, it's not, you know, we're not putting troops there. It's not, it's not enough to start World War III, that's for sure. Well, I'm glad I asked you. So you don't think if this went the wrong way and Russia gets to keep a big chunk of Ukraine, that that destabilizes the world so much that it's uh, the most important story out there? I don't, and it all comes down to back to what these European countries do when that potentially happens. If they, you know, everybody wants the world to go back to February 23rd, right? They all want, they want the, they want the oil, they want the, the, the you know, they, they want all that to, to happen, but that, that won't happen. So look at the Germans. The Germans have decided to go ahead and sell China a, a quarter of one of their major ports in Hamburg. I mean, like, no one's learning. No one's, realizing where the world is going here and how it's getting, you know, kind of divided up. I, I think that um, we have to recognize, that, you know, when, when there's finally peace in Ukraine at some point, there'll be something called Ukraine left over, and the, and the, the, the West should do what it can to rebuild that country. But, but anything to the east of it, it, it's got to be dealt with, and we've got to recognize we have to cut that off and not have these kind of relationships with that that will allow them to expand their imperialistic motives, because that's what they're trying to do. Great. Glad I asked. Glad we got that point of view. Now to the nuclear weapon thing. Why is Russia claiming that the Ukrainians are going to use a dirty bomb? What do you think is going on there? Yeah, it's false flag stuff. You know, the Putin playbook, right? All that, all those things you hear these guys talk about. It, it is, um, it's a scorched earth type uh, strategy or, or tactic, actually, that um, doesn't do anybody any good. 
if they decide to destroy the the nuclear plant in Zaporizhia, for example, or um, you know use some kind of chemical that will have a long term effect. I mean, obviously a, a nuclear type implosion or something would be a lot worse. Um, but dirty bombs are you know terror type uh, weapon systems that that uh, you know deployed in subway systems, for example, designed to you know kind of kill quickly and, and terrorize the population. Russia is going to wreck anything that they can't keep. It's going to wreck, and we have to say that that's what's going to happen, and and know that um, they have that capability to do that, and they're not going to stop. It's in their DNA. They're not stopping, and and they're going to continue to fight this. They're, they're not going to give up the winter, for example. They're going to do whatever they can as as this drones and the and the missile systems they're targeting right now the infrastructure energy infrastructure they're going right after the heart of kiev they're going to try to put as many ukraine in the cold and the dark as possible they can for for this winter they're not going to they're not going to give that opportunity up so you are uniquely qualified to talk about this whole using a tactical nuke explain what your background is in, in that and then how russian might russia might use that to escalate to de-escalate there in crimea so I was a tactical nuclear officer in Europe in the in the, the 1980s when we had those weapon systems, and if we were going to use them, we'd use them in the retreat, um, as because they fire a certain distance, let's say anywhere from 18 to 20 miles ahead, and they would render that area, you know, in, uninhabitable for a certain period of time. They they are combat multipliers, and they also they kind of fix conventional forces in play because they can't then come through those areas, and that's likely what they could possibly do in Crimea if they if they use that as kind of the the last ditch effort. Now we would be able to monitor whether they're in theater or not using satellites, using different technologies to say, um, but um, but they're also dangerous, and given the fact that they haven't necessarily fired one, they're like they're most likely delivered by artillery. They could blow up in the tubes. They could destroy Russian units that. Are trying to use them themselves. So there's, there's lots of things that can go wrong still with what's going there uh, when it comes to using a nuclear weapon, which, I, which is, in, in most cases is why they'll be used at the, at the absolute very last use. So was our policy back when you're dealing with this during the Cold War, if we were getting uh, overrun by uh, you know the, the Soviet Union, all of a sudden, you know what, we're going to try to take more of Europe. If we were getting overrun, we would have used a tactical nuke to, to, to give us ourselves some time to regroup or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had them in our in our battery. We would have we, we practiced taking them on our tactical exercises, and we practiced going through the authentication codes of having them released and actually using them. And they were not used in the off. They weren't potentially used in the offense. I mean, I can talk about this now. It's all declassified. The, the general defense plan of Europe is called double, the 33001. I'm sure any of your listeners that were back then, they'd probably be bringing back a, a good memory of it. But, uh, but that's what it was all about. It was using a tactical nuke in order to buy U.S. time to, to retreat because we were outnumbered and outgunned 6 to 1, 10 to 1 in terms of people back then. And that was the way we were going to defend Western Europe in the mid-'80s. Well, that's interesting. So I'm And I'm far from a Putin apologist, but... So it wasn't unthinkable for us to do that if we were getting our asses kicked and retreating. So Russia might do the same. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's their perception if they are, you know, not doing well and if their conventional forces aren't aren't doing that. that I, the thing is, they they probably have enough conventional firepower to at least hold that off 
And if they if they have to cross it, it's going to again. It's likely that last piece in Crimea that they would they would if they think that that's being threatened, that might be that only time. But what it does again fixes the conventional forces on the other side because once you fire tactical nukes across the front, then you're not seeing conventional forces going in that area or anytime soon. It renders that area uninhabitable. Aren't some of these videos amazing? Of these fat old men or young kids with buying their own uniforms and no weapons and no food and no water and everything. It's just incredible. Yeah, the thing is, you know, we don't fight that way, obviously, but um, for every one of those you see, there's nine other Russians that are doing it because they know that if they don't do it, you know, if they try to get away, they're going to get shot in the back or something like that. And, um, you know, Russia's trying to buy time. You saw them making a deal with Belarus, for example, to use a, some kind of joint task force. They They need... You know, twenty to thirty thousand troops right now. If they had twenty to thirty thousand kind of shock troops that were trained for the last six months, that were you know good at soldiering and good at doing this, it would be very influential on the battlefield right now. They just don't have that. So both sides are war of attrition taking place, and both sides are being attrited down. And Russia is just piecemealing holes in the lines here. But if they can, if either side can come up with a formidable force, um, it would influence the tactical battle and, and, and really you know win the day, for, for example. Interesting stuff. That's why I follow Mike Lyons on Twitter and perk up whenever I see him on, uh, on cable news. Thanks for coming on with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Armstrong and Getty. No one likes to talk about money. Am I saving enough? Can I buy a house? Am I paying too much in taxes? Will I be able to retire? What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T.com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.